going to pray just before we uh, jump into the sermon. Um, Father, would you just even now open up our hearts and allow us to receive from you what you have for us? And where we need to be encouraged, would you encourage us? Or challenged, would you challenge us? But we want to hear from you, God. And we ask that you would speak to us in a powerful way. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So this is our third week going through the book of Jonah. And we'll finish it up next week. And uh, if you're unfamiliar with the story, or maybe you are familiar, you haven't been in the last couple weeks, or just let me give you just brief recap of what we've covered. And it's a pretty familiar story. But Jonah is a, is a man who, like many of us, not all of us, but like many of us, is someone that's religious, has grown up around God and faith, and has been faithful to God in various times in his life, and is familiar with God and close to God, but then begins to wander away from God, begins to run from God even, and to depart from God. And what we've looked at really in the last couple weeks is the fact that we often wander from God, but God comes after us. God runs after us. God pursues us. And this is such good news. I was talking to someone briefly this week of just how that idea that we wander from God and yet God keeps coming after us has been so helpful and such a good reminder and an encouragement because we often find ourselves in that place. We often find ourselves at some times in our life being excited uh, about God and being passionate about God and, and wanting our life to, to follow him and, and pursue him and have faith in him and all the different things that maybe we even say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this with God or for God. And, and then we find our actions and our hearts wandering away from God. And the Bible says, and what we have learned in this passage, or rather this book with Jonah, is that God comes after us. That if you ever find yourself in that place, whether that's now or you have been there and you go, man, I'm drifting from God, I'm wandering from God, or I'm running from God, that God says, I'm coming after you. I care too much about you to let you go. I care too much about you to let you wander. I want you. And that's what we have seen that God does with Jonah. But it's not just individuals that wander away from God. It's not just individuals. It's not just us. But the whole world wanders away from God. The whole world, in fact, the Bible teaches, has turned from God. The Bible says in the beginning that God made the world, and he made it good. God made the world, and he made it good, and he blessed it, and he put man and woman together, and he, said, and he says, you're my people, and he makes us in his image, and he gives us a calling to represent him on this earth, and everything is beautiful, the Bible says, that God gives life, and he gives joy, and what God wants for his people is goodness, that's what he wants, and to experience blessing and shalom or peace, wholeness, this, this just beauty with us in relationship with God. That's how the Bible says God made the world. And then we as humans, man and woman, and we still this today, but turned against God, turned away from God. And as soon as we as humans turned away from God, everything else starts to crumble, when we turn away from God, everything else starts to crumble. I heard somebody say once that the only provable doctrine of Christianity, the only provable thing that the Bible teaches is sin. And I think that's true. I think you can look at the world and say, man, it looks like something is wrong. And what the Bible says is when we turn away from God, we turn away and against every other part and everything begins to break. And so we feel this internally. When we turn away from God, stuff starts to happen just with our own identity. Feelings of shame and feelings of guilt and feelings of worth and having to prove ourselves and all these different things like, 
most of us would be able to look at our lives and go, man, even if nobody else bothered me, even if nobody else did anything, and even if the world was at peace, I just don't feel okay with myself at different times. The Bible says that sin creates that. We turn away from God and it starts to break down internally and it starts to break down relationally. That man and woman, as soon as they turned away from God, the first thing they do, and this happens today for you that are married, or really, you don't have to be married, this just happens with everybody, the immediate thing that happens is they blame the other person. God says, hey, uh, you know, you weren't supposed to eat that fruit, and Adam goes, the woman that you gave me, God. And then the woman says, the devil made me do it. And immediately, blaming happens. And we see that, that when we turn away from God, we start to turn away from one another. We start to turn against one another. And not just, and not just in relationships like marriage, but in the world at large, right? We, we can go, man, something is wrong. That we look around the world and people have turned against one another. We turn away from God. We turn, we turn on in and on ourselves. We turn against uh, each other. And even with nature, I mean, we're not going to go into a bunch of that, but the, originally man and woman are created to steward the world and to, and to say, this is God's creation. We're going to treat it really well. And instead, we don't do that, right? We abuse nature and we take advantage of it and there's, I mean, all sorts of stuff. But what happens is as soon as we turn away from God, we turn away from, we turn against and away from one another and everything starts to break down. That God makes the world good. He makes it beautiful. But just like Jonah, on a larger scale, the world has turned away from God. And when we look at this chapter, chapter 3 in Jonah, this is going to tell us what God intends to do about this and how he will go about doing that and how we participate in that. So here's Jonah, chapter 3. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to... And actually, let me just stop just for a quick second. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. I feel like somebody here needs to hear this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Here's what this means. God's not done with you. Jonah totally ran away from God. Jonah totally disobeyed God. Jonah totally went the opposite direction. And you could think that God would go, okay, you had your chance. You had your shot. I gave you an opportunity. And you blew it. So now, instead of Jonah, I'm going to choose uh, Jack. And he's going to go do what I'm having him do. And Jonah, you're now you know, covered in whale vomit, and you can go sit on the sidelines. But that's not what God does. Isn't it amazing that the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time? And I would have to guess that if he, you know, blew it, it would come a third time and a fourth time and a fifth time because that's actually what Jesus teaches when his disciples even ask him, how many times are we supposed to forgive somebody? And Jesus says 70 times seven, which just means perfection over and over and over and over and over again. And so for someone here, I think you might need to hear that, that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, which means even if you feel like, man, I blew it, I had an opportunity, and I blew it, God's not done with you. Word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, arise, go to Nineveh. This is the city that, that God called Jonah to originally. That great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out. So God tells him to call out, and he calls out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. 
And the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. He removed his robe. He covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now, this book, this chapter, has been about, this, what we've seen so far is that we wander away from God and that God comes after us. After us. But this starts to move just from an individual story of Jonah to then a broader picture of the world turning away from God. And what is God going to do about that? And how does he go about doing it? And what's our role in it? So first is this. What is God doing in the world? Meaning, what is God doing in this world that has turned from him? What is he going to do? And what is he doing about a world that has turned from him? And Nineveh is a picture. Nineveh is a city. It's a place that turned from God. It's a place that was filled with violence and was filled with all sorts of evils. And they had turned from God. They had wandered from God. They had departed from God. What is God going to do about this. And, and here's what the Bible teaches consistently, but even we get this picture here with Nineveh, that God has a mission. God has a mission to destroy the cause of our turning from him and the effects of our turning from him. That God, has a, God looks at Nineveh, this place that has turned from him and is filled with the effects of that, and God has a mission to do something about that to deal with the cause and to deal with the effects of Nineveh and the world turning from him, just as he did with Jonah. But God has a mission to destroy the causes, the effects of turning from him. But this is what that means. It means that God has to deal with sin. If God is going to deal with the world or Nineveh, if God's going to deal with the cause and the effects of turning from him. It means God has to deal with sin. Now, sometimes when we hear a story like this, or even just other parts in the Bible that talk about God bringing judgment against sin, that can kind of irk us. It can kind of rub us the wrong way of like, man, why is God need to, why is God saying, hey, if you don't change, if you don't turn, there will be judgment, there will be disaster upon you. Why, why is that what God does. Sometimes that idea can bother us. But what's interesting is even though that bothers us, we are a society that loves judgment. We love it. Even as much as we like to say, hey, don't be judgmental or don't judge me or that, we love judgment. And we love the effects of, of, of sin being judged and dealt with. This is true on a small level and it's true on a big level. I mean, there was uh, recently in Denver a case with Taylor Swift, for those of you that are big Taylor fans, um, and she, there was a guy that was, uh, if some of you maybe don't know about this or didn't follow this, but there was a guy accused of, of groping her, of grabbing her bare butt, right? Or she, you know, she said some other things about that. But he was accused of doing that, this radio DJ, in a, in a like, uh, picture shoot, okay, for those of you that don't know. And so the trial was in Denver, and this just happened last, the last couple weeks it was happening. 
And if you look at different comments or you look at what people are saying, that person that's accused of that, people are like, yeah, he, he, let him get what he deserves. Filth like this needs to be you know, thrown out of our society. And what a disgusting human being. And, and the judgment wells up in us of, yes, he should get convicted. Yes, he should be tried. No one is going, don't judge him. Let him do what he wants to do. Don't judge him. We love judgment. Or uh, there was recent events with white supremacists and Nazis doing all sorts of horrible things in our country this last uh, week or so. And, and some, this often happens when people do things that people find, you know, there's pictures of it and they take those people's pictures and they start to out them. They say, hey, this is, I'm just making up names in case somebody here has named this. This is, you know, Bill Stevens and he is a Nazi. And those people get fired from their jobs and, they, and they, there's like, you know, on Twitter or wherever else, they grab those people and they post them up and they say, this is who this is. Let's get them. Let's, as a society, bring judgment against them. Let's, as a society, shame these people. Let's, as a society, sh- get the wrong people out. We love judgment. We love judgment. And I'm not saying anything about that is you know, wrong or that we shouldn't do that. I'm just saying as a society, a lot of times we feel, don't judge me and judge men, you know, how could God judge people? And we kind of feel like that. But as a society, we love judgment. You don't have to be a Christian or somebody that's not a Christian. It doesn't matter. People love judgment as long as they don't like the particular thing that it is. Now, there might be certain things that you say, hey, we shouldn't judge that or whatever. But as long as it's an issue that you care about, we love judgment and we want people judged and we want the effects of sin in society. We want the effects of turning away from God in society to be dealt with. We think that it should be judged. What God is doing in the world is coming on a mission to destroy the cause and the effects of sin. But if we look at the effects of sin, of turning from God, we look at racism and we look at sexual abuse and we look at groping and we look at ISIS and we look at all sorts of things that would be effects of turning from God. And we actually would agree, yeah, God should bring judgment against those things and we as a society should bring judgment against those things. But, but God also says he needs to deal with the root where those things come from, which is turning away from him. See, for Nineveh, For Nineveh, it was the city, and you could have looked at that city and seen all the effects of sin. You could have seen all sorts of violence and all sorts of horrible things happening in that city. But what's interesting is earlier, you look at Jonah, and Jonah would have lived a really upright, righteous, religious life. And yet God also brings his judgment against Jonah because the same root is there, a turning away from God. Jonah had a really simple, hey, I'm a good religious person, I'm a prophet, I'm a moral person, and yet, God, I'm going to turn away from you. But if you would have looked at Jonah's life, it would have looked like a really good life. But in his heart, there was a turning away from God. And you look at Nineveh, and outwardly, it looks horrible, and it's got all sorts of violence and evil stuff, but inwardly, it's the same root, a turning away from God. This is what the Bible says the problem is, and God is on a mission God's on a mission to destroy the effects of sin, which most of us agree with. Yes, that should be dealt with. But also the root, which is the heart that turns away from him. The heart that turns away from him, God says judgment must be brought. 
that the worst thing of all that we do and where all other evil actually comes from is when our hearts turn away from him. That was the original sin, and that is the sin that we still do. Once we turn away from him, we turn against one another. We turn against society. We break down internally, and all other things start to break. And so God must not just deal with the effects of sin, but also the cause of sin, which is the heart that turns away from him. Here's what this means. Sin, what we see in this passage of what God is doing is sin must be judged or we must be turned. It's one or the other. Either God judges and brings disaster upon sin or our hearts have to be turned towards him. And what this also shows us is that's what God wants to do. What God is doing to undo all the evil that's been done in the world, what God is seeking to do is not just wipe sinners out. Thank him. Otherwise, we would all be wiped out. But what God is seeking to do is to save people. You see, he didn't have to say anything to Nineveh. If you've got this evil, wicked place, God could have just said, man, those people are evil and wicked. Lightning bolt, done. But he doesn't do that. What God does is says, these people are evil and wicked, and what I want is to turn them towards me. See, God's heart is always to save. God's heart is always to save, whether that's on an individual level with Jonah. Jonah could have ran from God, and the whale could have jumped up on the boat and just like crunched up his bones and spit him out. But instead, the fish or whale grabs him, keeps him safe, gives him time to process, to repent, and to be drawn back to God. See, God's heart is always to save. So what God is doing in the world is this. God wants to end the effects of sin and the cause of sin, our heart that turns away from him. And he can do that by bringing judgment. Or he can do that by seeking to have our hearts turned towards him, to actually be saved. And that is what God always seeks to do. That's what God's heart for the world is. It's what his heart for Denver is. It's what his heart for you is. Is always to say, I want to save you. I want to turn you to me. My heart isn't to bring judgment and condemnation against you. It's to turn you to me so that you experience salvation. And so the effects of that then play out. So the effects of turning to him then play out. So that instead of there being broken relationships in society, there's healed relationships in society when we turn to him. So instead of couples turning against one another, that we turn to him and then we turn towards one another in love and in grace. And instead of turning away from him and then being unsure of our identity and unsure of who, we actually have a new identity and we can experience grace and we ex experience our, our worth built in him and we can experience all of that. God wants that individually and he wants the effects of that to go through the community that, that what God is doing in the world is seeking to undo the cause, turning away from him, and the effects of sin so that communities and individuals experience what it is like to live in a place that's turned towards him. The Bible often talks about that in the language of the kingdom of God, to say, what would it look like if we all together turned towards God and said, you are our king and you define us, and we live life in that way and experience life with him as king? The Bible says what God is seeking to do is to end the causes and the effects of sin. And he can do that through bringing judgment or he can do that through turning people towards him. This is what God is doing 
in the world so that we experience individually and as a community life turned towards him. So what is God's strategy for accomplishing his purposes? If this is what God is seeking to do, if what God is seeking to do is undo all of those effects and end the causes and effects of sin, what's his strategy for bringing that about? Because he could send out angels and, and have them you know, turn everybody, and he could um, just kind of sprinkle magic God dust on everybody that, that changes people to just go, okay, we're, we're done, you're king now. Or he could do some David Blaine magic show and make everybody impressed, and they go, okay, you're, I guess we're going to listen to you now. He could do all sorts of things. Sometimes we even think, man, that would actually be nice if God would do that, if a little, just a little bit of fire from heaven would come out, just every once in a while. Just, every, just a little bit of fire. But what is God's strategy for his accomplishing his purposes? Isn't it interesting that what God does is he sends Jonah he sends people to bring his message. Isn't that really interesting? Why is it that, like, especially because Jonah's so stupid, why is it that God is like, okay, Jonah, I want you to go over here, and Jonah doesn't do it, and he's like, okay, no, I want you to go over there, and he doesn't do it. It's like, come on. Like, okay, God, why are you even, why are you even need Jonah? Why don't you just go do it yourself? Why don't you just do it? Why don't you just put, you know, writing in the sky and fire and whatever else needs to happen, why don't you just do it? But God's strategy for accomplishing his purpose is people. God's strategy for accomplishing his purpose is people. That's what he uses. Flawed, imperfect, dumb people. That's God's strategy. God's strategy to turn people towards him to create new communities that are built on being turned towards him. So all the effects of that, relationally and individually and in society, God's strategy to turn people back towards him is to send people. That's true with Jonah. And we get to the New Testament, that's the same thing that Jesus talked about. You know, God tells Jonah, go. And Jesus told his disciples, go, make disciples, turn people back towards me. When Paul, when Paul, an early church leader, was writing to uh, the church, he said the same thing. He said, here's, here's what we are supposed to do as the church. We are supposed to be God's strategy to turn people towards him so that people can experience life with him. Here's how Paul said it in 2 Corinthians. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And gave us, so Christ reconciles us to himself. That's what God did with Jonah. He brought Jonah back to himself. But then he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. Which is to say, now I'm commissioning you to turn other people towards me. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. This is what God is doing in the world. He is seeking to turn the world back towards him. Not to bring judgment, but to bring people back to him to experience relationship with him, to experience joy and life with him, not counting their trespasses against them. That's sins. God doesn't look at the sins and the trespasses and say, okay, you blew it, see ya. He says, I look at the sin, I look at the trespasses, I look at what you've done, and here is my heart. I want to turn you towards me. That is so amazing. I don't, I don't think we even get how amazing that is because think about our lives. When somebody sins against you, when somebody wrongs you, isn't our immediate posture 
to turn away from them. If you're in a fight with your spouse and they do something mean to you, your immediate instinct is to say, gosh, whatever, and to turn away. If you're on the phone with Comcast, your immediate instinct is to turn away, to click, to not say, you are mischarging me, but I'm going to turn towards you. That's not your instinct. It's to turn away from those that wrong us. When you're talking to uh, some family member that has wronged you repeatedly, your instinct is to cut them off. It's to say, okay, fine, we're just not hanging out anymore. Isn't that our instinct when people wrong us is to do the opposite, to count their trespasses against them? This is so amazing about God, that God's heart says this, when I look at the world and I see its sin, what I do is want to reconcile them back to me, to turn them back to me. And, and Paul says, here's what God's strategy is to do that. It's not magic. It's not angels. God's strategy to do that is he reconciles us to him and then he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. That in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself and then entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That's so important. That's what he did to Jonah. God wanted Nineveh to be reconciled back to him. And how did he do it? He entrusted Jonah. He said, here's the message. This is the message of reconciliation, Jonah, and I'm entrusting it to you. I'm giving it to you. And couldn't God just do it himself? Yes, but that's not what he chooses to do. What God chooses to do is say, here is my strategy to bring the world back to me. It's to entrust the message to you to entrust the message to you. Look, if you're a Christian, you have been entrusted with this message. When I do weddings, sometimes um, I talk to the best man. I always talk to the best man, but sometimes we have this, sometimes I ignore him. No, but we, we always have this uh, conversation where he's carrying the ring, right? He's got the ring in his pocket. He's been entrusted with that. He's been entrusted with this very special thing. And we sometimes talk about how special that is and how, hey, don't lose that. And, hey, do you have the ring? And, hey, make sure you've been entrusted with this. It's very valuable. And you want the message of what that represents to get to the other person. So make sure that, is it in your pocket? Do you have a hole in your pocket? Do you, you know, have a hole in your pants anywhere? Like, make sure you've got this thing. It's been entrusted to you. Do you have it? This is what Paul says. We've been entrusted the message of reconciliation. We've been entrusted the message. God's strategy is to entrust us with his message. God wants the world turned to him. God wants the world brought back to him. God wants the world to know his grace. God wants the causes and effects of sin to be wiped away. He wants new communities made with him as king. And he says, here's how I accomplish it. I entrust you with the message. Paul goes on, therefore, if this is true, if this is what God has done, if we have been entrusted with this, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. See, God wanted to appeal to Nineveh, and God wants to appeal to our city and our friends and our neighbors. God wants to make an appeal to say, turn to me, I love you, I care for you, turn to me, I want you. God makes his appeal, though, through us. God makes his appeal through us. And so he says, 
we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. See, what is God's strategy for accomplishing his purpose? This is so important. It's us. With Jonah, it was humans. With us, it's humans. What, what do you think the purpose of the church is? What do you think the purpose of the church is? Many people would say, well, the purpose of the church is to grow. Like, I come here, I want to hear some sermons or, uh, you know, grow in some way. And that's partially true. So maybe it's community. We love community. We want you to experience community. So maybe the purpose of the church is friendship. It's to, it's to have other people to hang out with. Or maybe the purpose of the church is inspiration. Life's hard. It sucks often. And work is hard. And maybe you had a really hard week. And, and okay, I come here to just get a little bit filled up and get inspired to go back in and conquer my day. But you know what the Bible says? Here's what the purpose of the church is. The purpose of the church is God cares about this world so much. He loves this world so much, and he wants it to be turned to him. And his strategy isn't to just go do that directly himself, but rather to make his appeal through us, to entrust us with his message. That's what God did to Nineveh. That's what God does now. God's purpose is to create new communities and individuals that are worshiping him and knowing him and God's strategy is us. But then this leads to this next question. How does this story, what we see here in this passage, how does this story shape our participation in God's purpose? If what God's purpose is, is to turn the world towards him, so the cause and the effects of sin are wiped away, and God's strategy to accomplish that purpose is he doesn't say, I'm not, I'm not going to do that directly. I entrust you to do it. Don't ask me to do it. I'm entrusting you to do it. So how does this story shape our involvement? Because we're supposed to be involved. We're supposed to participate. If, if we're the strategy, if we are God's strategy for that, what can we learn about how, how we are shaped to do this? How does this story shape our participation? And I want to talk about three different ways it shapes us. The first is it shapes our attitude and our posture. If God wants to make his appeal through us, if, if God wants to entrust us with his message, we can learn some stuff in this story that shapes how we participate. The first is it shapes our attitude, our posture, because it makes us humble. See, what we can learn here in the story of Jonah is that Jonah is not better than Nineveh. The very thing that God is trying to do to Nineveh, to turn them towards him, is what Jonah already had to go through the last two weeks. That God was, Jonah was turning away from God and God was turning him back, turning him towards him. And what we can learn about this that shapes our attitude, it shapes our posture, is we're not better than anybody. To the degree that we see our hearts like Jonah, hearts that wander away from God, hearts that run from God, hearts that leave God, hearts that listen to God but go, I don't want to do that. To the degree that we see that is us. And then to the degree that we see how kind and gracious he is to us, even when we're like that. That makes us humble towards others. It makes us humble towards others because we can't look down on other people then that we see that are turning away from God. We can't look down on them. We can't, we can't have this kind of spirit and attitude of, oh, 
I can't believe that you would do that. I can't believe that you would think that. I can't believe that you would be like that. Look, Christians are often accused of this very spirit, of looking at people that are sinful and going, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're like that. I can't believe that you would do that. And we do this to one another too. It's not just to the outside. We can, we can look at other people that are struggling with different things and just be, oh my word. And this says, look, our attitude and our heart should be different. It should be humble. If we know that, yes, we are, part, we are called to participate, but we're like Jonah. We're recipients of grace just as much as we're supposed to be givers of grace. To the degree that you see, man, I have run from God and God's run after me. That will then affect how you treat those that are running from God. You'll, instead of this haughty, self-righteous attitude, you'll have a spirit that says, yeah, I understand. I've been there. I'm often there. Now, this is true with other, this is true with anything. The more that you see your faults in something, the more you have compassion for other people going through that. I used to be really judgmental, and now I'm not. I hate people that are judgmental. No, I'm just kidding. I used to be, uh, some of you are like, yeah, me too, yeah. I don't know why that's funny. I used to be really judgmental towards people that um, would break their iPhones or any phones that they would, well, not like, you know, the handheld ones, but the, any, any screens that got cracked, just be like, oh my gosh, you're so careless and you're so, like, how could you not take care of something? Don't you know how much that is? And you should treat your things better. And then, you know, I, and I went years and years and years without cracking a screen and I never had a case because cases are for people that are undisciplined and don't care about their stuff, you know? <laughs> And then I dropped my phone, and it cracked, and I was like, no, I'm like one of them, you know? But it has given me grace and mercy towards people like that. And I've cracked my phone again a second time, actually. So now I have even more grace and mercy for people that don't learn their lessons, you know? And that, that is true with anything, though. That's part of why, like, if you've ever talked to somebody that's gone through AA or, or one of those kind of groups, that's part of why they like those groups, because they know, hey, everybody here, it, we're in the same boat. And so nobody's going to go, oh, you drink alcohol? Oh, wow, you struggle with addiction? No one's going to do that. That's part of why people like those kind of groups that are struggling with that, because they know, hey, we are all in the same boat Therefore, none of us is going to be outside of the boat saying, that's a stupid boat, or whatever, just to keep the analogy going. That's not going to happen. And the more that we see, I'm somebody that's run from God. I'm somebody that's turned from God in all sorts of different ways. The more we then understand, and yet God's given me his grace, and he's pursued me, and he's run after me, the more than we are able to have empathy and understanding and compassion and humility towards people that have run from God and are running from God. We, we're able to go, we're more alike than different. If you look at the sinner that bothers you the most, and you can't say, we're actually more alike than different, then something's wrong. We should be able to look at the sinners around us that bother us the most and go, we're actually more alike than different because there's something in my heart. The seeds in my heart are the same that's giving blossom to what's happening in your life. And God's been so gracious and kind to me in my sin. Thus, I can be so gracious and kind to you and yours. And you know what that doesn't mean? It doesn't mean we agree. It doesn't mean that, that we have to say, so therefore it's okay, so do whatever you want. It doesn't mean that. 
but it means it changes our posture. It means it changes our attitude. Sometimes even when we think about this idea that we've been entrusted with God's message, part of what actually keeps us silent is we say, well, I've got my own issues, so I don't want to tell other people you know, that they should turn to God because I've got my own issues. That's true, but so did Jonah. That doesn't disqualify you. Because what you're not, you're not giving a TED talk. You're not trying to say, be like me, and here's this great idea. You're trying to say, hey, you need grace, and I need grace, and we both need to turn to God together. That's very different from saying, hey, I've arrived at this certain idea that's going to change the world, and you should arrive at it too. You should be like me. It's not that at all. It changes an attitude. So it's actually okay if, like Jonah, you smell like whale vomit while telling other people, hey, you need to turn to God. Because what qualifies us isn't our performance or our morality. It's we recognize, I need grace. And God wants to give you grace just like he gave me grace. That gives us a different kind of posture. Helps us, helps us to be humble towards those as God sends us to make an appeal to people to turn to him. So that's the first way it shapes our participation. The second way it shapes our participation is it gives us confidence. See, sometimes when you go, okay, God's strategy to turn the world back towards him and to create thus communities that are built on him and individuals that are affected by life with him, his strategy to do that is me. I've been entrusted with this message. And I'm sorry, I'm not talking about me when I'm saying this, I'm, just in case there's confusion. I'm talking about us that I've been, that we've been entrusted with this message. That's his strategy. So, so how, how am I supposed to participate in that? Well, we got to have a different kind of attitude, but we also need a confidence. And sometimes we think like this, man, I don't know what to say. And what if I get it wrong? And what if I mess up? And, and what, if, what, if I, what if I kind of stumble around or I don't know how to answer a question or and you know what we see in this passage? It gives us a confidence because it shows the powers in God to change people. Like Jonah's sermon, I, I've preached a lot of sermons, and some of them suck, okay? Maybe you're like, yeah, this one right now. But I, I've, I've done it, okay? I know. And Jonah's sermon, though, was pretty bad. Like it was eight words. Some of you are like, that's a great sermon, you know? It was eight words. And, it, and I think it was actually like five in Hebrew. So it's very short, just a sentence. It's not, there's no illustrations. It's not that good. There's no compelling introduction. You know, it's just like 40 days, Nineveh, you'll die. You know, that's basically it. And look what happened. It, I mean, it's this giant revival where the whole city turns to God. And, and I love it. It says, even the animals are repenting, you know, like, you know that God is working when your dog is like, I'm sorry, God, you know. And he, your dog's in sackcloth and ashes. And you're like, you were such a cute puppy. But he's like, no, I'm a bad puppy. I'm a bad dog, you know. And he's crying. And you know that, like, there's power. And that's not because of Jonah's sermon. That should give us confidence to know. See, one of the biggest things that we don't actually, we, we're entrusted with this message and we don't actually do what we're supposed to do, we don't actually make the appeal, is because we're worried about our ability to bring something about. 
we're worried about our ability to cause some sort of change. And I can tell you this. Those people changed because Jonah spoke, but the way that God was working in that is something way beyond just Jonah's words. It would take God to change people's hearts for that to happen. For that to happen, for that kind of an effect, to go into a city that hated God and had turned from God, and for this person that they wouldn't have liked, that came in half-heartedly, as we'll see next week, and didn't really even want them to change. With an imperfect message and an imperfect delivery and an imperfect person, God works and he moves. See, that should give us a confidence to know the power is in God to change people's lives. Now, don't, t- don't misuse that because some people, yeah, the power is in God, so we're not even needed. But that's not what this says. It says God's strategy is to use people that are imperfect and messed up and stupid and dumb and, and have self-righteousness. And yet, he takes that imperfect person and an imperfect message, and with his power, he can change lives. That should give us confidence. It should give us boldness to say, man, I'm going to speak the way God tells me to speak and, and see what happens. It should give us hope and expectancy that God can work. See, sometimes we also think, well, man, our society or our culture, you know, everybody's so far from God and nobody goes to church anymore. Or, or maybe it's not broadly speaking, it's just with particular individuals. Man, they've, they've been wandering from God for so long or they don't care about God or no, you don't understand. They, they hate all. And we can basically say the world is or this person is a lost cause. And you know what that says? It says we think that we're not a lost cause because there's something special about us. But what this says is it takes the power of God to change anybody and that he can do that and he wants to do that and we should expect that he will do that. Nobody's a lost cause or maybe more rightly said we're all lost causes and yet salvation is a miracle of grace. Jonah was this religious prophet that you could have looked at and said, lost cause, but it took a miracle of God's grace and it turned his heart back towards him. Nineveh can look at your friend that you're thinking of or your coworkers or your neighbors or this world or this city and you can go, man, it's, man it's so there's no way. This should give us a confidence that God can and wants to save and it's based on his ability, not ours. It's not based on the perfect message or the perfect delivery or the perfect person to get your act together so then you're able to say it in the right way with some sort of authority. It's based on God's power. And the third thing is this. It shapes our participation and that it shapes our actions. We've been kind of talking about this all along, but it it shapes our attitude. It shapes our expectations, but it, it shapes what we are actually supposed to do. That in order for people to be turned towards God, it takes the message of God getting into people's lives. It takes actually speaking. Here's what this means. Your good life won't save anybody. Jonah didn't roll up into Nineveh and pay for everybody's Starbucks in the line behind him. And go, oh, they're just going to see... They're going to see and know, oh, God must exist, or God is so good, and I love Jesus now. That's not what happened. Your good life will not save anybody. 
There's different ways that we kind of believe this lie. Sometimes it's just, man, I'm going to be a good person, and people are going to see my good life. They're going to see how hard of a worker I am, that I don't cuss, and I don't gossip at work, and I, I put in extra hours or whatever, and then they're going to go, man, I think I would like to love God like you do. That's not true. Or for those of you that have been around Christian circles for a long time, you've heard this stupid quote, which says, preach the gospel often and use words when necessary. That's the dumbest thing ever. I'm sorry if you have that tattooed on your body, but I will pay to have it removed. <clears throat> Seriously. Uh, it's, it is so dumb. And let me break down why this is so dumb, because some people really believe this. Let me give you a few examples. Some of your dads lived by that code. Tell your children you love them often, use words when necessary. Tell your children you're proud of them often, use words when necessary. And how did that turn out for you? You would, I mean, I've talked to people, counseled people that have said, all I ever wanted was my dad to say, I'm proud of you. And he would have said, I was saying it often, using words when necessary. Husbands, wives often complain. Tell your wives you love them often, use words when necessary. Well, I am telling her I love her by my actions. I work hard and I, I help around the house and, I, and I'm living by the code. Tell her I love her often, use words when necessary. See, it doesn't, that doesn't work if the message is important. It doesn't work if the message actually has to be communicated. Somebody loves you and wants you to turn towards them. Your life can't do that. It doesn't matter how good it is. Nobody's good life ever saved anybody. Jesus didn't show up to earth and just do a bunch of good things and then go, hope you get the point, I'm out. He spoke. He said, God wants you to turn to him. God wants you in his family. Nobody in real life ever lives by the code. If the message matters to them, use words when necessary. Potty train your kids. Use words when necessary. That wouldn't go so well. It's actually really arrogant, by the way, also. Because you know what it says? It says, it's all about my life. It's all about me. When the point we looked at before is God actually has the power to save when you tell people about him and his heart and what he cares about. And it's actually, I mean, it's the exact opposite. It can say your life, like Jonah's life, could be really imperfect and messed up. Jonah couldn't live by that code. Jonah had, smells like whale vomit. He can't say, look, just look at my life and you'll see. It's very arrogant to say, just look at my life. And you'll know about Jesus. You'll know about the good news. You'll know how much God cares about you just by looking at my life. See, it shapes our actions because what we actually have to do is speak. We actually have to speak. This is what Paul said. Make, he's making his appeal through us. He's entrusted us, entrusted us with his message. He told Jonah, go into Nineveh not go into Nineveh and live a good life. Go into Nineveh and speak. Tell people I want them to be turned towards me. So here's what this means. 
First, it means we have to speak, but it also means this. Are you speaking? If, if God's strategy in this world to turn people towards him and to create new communities is you, if that's his strategy, if we've been entrusted with that, are we speaking? I think one of the most helpful ways to do this is just to be honest. Anytime I ever talk about this idea, this is what I always like to say because I think it's, it's the layup. It's easy. Actually, layups are really hard for me, so it's, it's, the, it's whatever. If, if basketball's not your thing, it's, it's easy. This is the layup. You're just honest. How many times has somebody said to you, hey, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, you know, I just kind of hung out. But you could have said, I was at church. Or how many times maybe you're, uh, I, you know, I, and look, I'm guilty of this. I've been at coffee shops before and got my computer and I'm working on a sermon and people say, oh, what are you working on? Like, uh, just work. When I could say, I'm working on a sermon. Just, I guarantee you, if you are just honest about your life, about who you are, about what you do, about why you do what you do. Even the families here, they, they could say, hey, um, you know, what did you do this weekend? We dedicated our baby at church. Why did you do that? What does that mean? That's an opportunity to talk about Jesus. It's an opportunity to talk about how God wants all life to be his, and he wants children from the very time that they're born to know him and love him because he cares about people. If we are just honest, I guarantee you, you will have tons of opportunities to talk about Jesus. If you are just honest, if you just say, here's who I am, here's why I do what I do, here's what I was doing, here's who I was hanging out with, here's who these people are, here's what we were talking about, you will have so much. If someone says, what did you do this weekend? We were talking about Jonah. What were you talking about, Jonah? How God cares about people so much and he wants to turn their hearts towards him and it doesn't matter how far they've run. I'm not saying you have to give the whole sermon, but just that is a couple sentences. I guarantee you will have tons of opportunity to speak the message if we are just honest. And I'm not saying that's easy. I've struggled with that. But I'm saying that you will have tons of opportunity to let the message come out if we're just honest. And the message is what we've been talking about. It's not... Hey, you can be a good person like I'm a good person. Hey, you can stop being stupid like I stopped being stupid. That's not the message. The message is that we have a God of grace that wants to give people life, that has sought to turn people towards him, and that he doesn't hold their sin against them, and that he wants to reconcile them back into his family through Jesus. That's the message. And we speak that to people. And our job in all of this is not the results. Jonah's job wasn't the results. He didn't know what was going to happen with Nineveh. In fact, he didn't actually like the results that happened, as we'll look at next week. But our job is not the results. It's just to do what God says. It's just to be obedient. If you focus on the results, you'll never be obedient. If you think about, well, is this going to happen? And is this going to take place? And is this? And that's true with anything in life. Like, my husband's never going to change, or my wife's never going to change, or my kids are never going to change, and I've tried doing this, and I've tried doing this, and I've tried. And you're thinking about the results. And if you focus on the results, you'll never actually be obedient. But if you are just continually, faithfully obedient, you will see results. And our job is to be faithful to God, not to be concerned about the results. So as we close, what would happen? What would happen? What would happen if we did this? Jonah's one person and a whole city turned toward God. What would happen if just the people in this room said, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take seriously that I'm God's strategy and that I've been entrusted with this message? 
what would happen? What would happen in people's lives? What grace would they be able to experience knowing God that they don't now? What would happen in communities? In Nineveh, it says all the violence you know, went away. What would happen in communities if people turned towards God? If you're not a Christian today, what I would say to you is this is God's message to you today. And he wants you to turn to him because he wants grace for you. And even when we talk about some of this stuff, about God's strategy and people speaking and, and all of that, look, here's what's so important to know, especially for those of you who are not Christians. Don't you want to believe that this is what God is like? Even if you don't, don't you want to believe that this is what God is like? That he's a God that so cares about you that he wants to run after you and create people in your life to tell you over and over again how much you mean to him and how much he wants you in his family. You've got salespeople doing that to you all the time. Here's a roof flyer. Here's a roof flyer. Here's a roof flyer. You know, with the hail damage, I have like 300 roof flyers. I built a roof out of the roof flyers. <laughs> They care. They're trying to get their message. They're pursuing me. They're coming after me. Don't you want to believe that God cares about you more than a roofer? Don't you want to believe that God cares about you, that he would send tons of people to come after you to say, I want you in my family? That's the truth. And when we take communion, we remember that, that God sends us, but he also sent his son to this world to die on a cross. Jesus says that he came to seek and to save the lost to come after us, that God himself would say, I want you and I'll give my life for you. I will die for your sins so you can be forgiven, so you can be in my family. I will raise to life so you can experience life with me. That's God's heart towards us and he entrusts us with that message. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this truth. Thank you that you care about us and you want us in your family. Thank you that you're not done with us, and even when we run and even when we wander, you run faster. When we turn away from you, you turn towards us. I thank you for that, God. And I pray that we would believe these things as we sing these few songs, and we pray that you would drive these truths deeper into our hearts. And I pray, God, help us to make your appeal that we would faithfully Speak this message that you've entrusted us with. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.